Welcome to DeFi, the podcast making the most important issues in DeFi easy to understand and accessible to all. This week, we speak to Ivan Lelastour, crypto lead at BPI France. Good morning, Ivan, and thank you for joining us today. Let's start with a quick introduction about yourself, what is BPI and your role in it. So BPI is, uh, is first a bank, uh, a sovereign fund, and uh, an export credit uh, insurer, an ICA. Uh, so basically, we help, we try to help the French economy uh, by uh, financing it, investing in it, and, and helping this economy uh, to be more competitive abroad. We inject nearly 40 billions into the French economy uh, each year. And uh, relating to crypto, how do these um, export credit agencies, these ACAs approach crypto? Do you have some use case example on how ECA assists uh, crypto startups or DeFi protocols? Uh, it's a very good question. First, the idea is to be very pragmatic, to say, hey, uh, crypto might change the world. Uh, we inject 40 billions. Let's use a little part of this money uh, to sustain uh, the blockchain crypto ecosystem in France. So that's the financing part. We have nearly an indirect exposure of 75 million. Uh, mm -hmm. regarding crypto so 30 million is for financing 10 million is for direct investment so equity investment we also did a first token operation but it's very small for now it was more test but it was a, a great success and the rest is fund of fund so we invest into funds um, that deals with uh, I mean crypto VCs then there are more global thinking about what could be the use case for a bank in a crypto world tomorrow. Uh, do we need to have crypto? Do we need to do crypto transaction? Um, and for example, for, uh, for export credit insurance, we already had discussions with some other ACAs and other um, I would say governmental bodies in, in Germany, for example, to say, hey, why couldn't we use crypto to finance uh, projects abroad, infrastructure projects abroad? But as many governmental things, this takes time. Uh, and But we have some benchmark. We expect, for example, the Chinese CBDC uh, to be used in the next years for um, export credits or export insurance. Mm. Very interesting. I would like to start with you talking about regulatory aspects of uh, central banking in general. Maybe your, with your experience, you can give us some insight. So how do actually the regulatory process for crypto take place? Uh, who does the studies, who formalizes the proposals, if there are, and what do lobbying forces uh, within, for example, the ECB, uh, European Central Bank in Europe, 
how is this dynamic that I think most of the crypto audience sometimes ignore voluntarily or not, but it's actually uh, something that we have to deal as community very, very soon. So it's nice to understand how this environment works a little bit. Yes, you're so right. And it's complicated um, because you have first, you have in Europe, you have the national level. So how politics works, how laws are written and voted. So first you have to understand locally how it works. For example, in France, it's pretty clear we have one regulatory body uh, called the IMF. For example, in US, you have more than one regulatory body. You have the SCC uh, for the securities and the CFTC for the commodities and they fight with each other. Um, so first, the local level, how laws are written, how banking industry is also influencing these laws, because banking industry is important. Uh, I mean, it's, a, it's an economic force, so they also defend their interests, and we understand that. I mean, who, who wouldn't? Um, and then you have uh, the magical European level where <laughs> it's more complicated because you have uh, more forces in prisons, more dynamics, uh, you have different lobbies also and, and everything mixes together. And you have the European Commission that is kind of the government and then the European Parliament that vote the laws and the European Council on other stuff. But basically, you have kind of a very complicated alchemy or chemistry here. And because it's financial regulation, the European Central Bank uh, comes at play. And which is funny is that the regulatory aspects of European Central Banks just appeared in 2009 after the financial crisis. Before, everybody was kind of doing his own business, saying hello and goodbye. But uh, uh, with the financial crisis, uh, really, the European Commission was afraid and say, this is a threat for financial stability, so for political stability. So we need to better regulate. So that's why the European Central Bank has a huge role now into financial regulation. And that's why they feel concerned and they are concerned. On the other hand, this is kind of a challenge also. The technical aspects of finance are changing. And this is all the, the crypto issue and the, the crypto challenge and the crypto potential is that if tomorrow the infrastructure of crypto are used for financial transactions, um, it is because it's more efficient, more transparent in some way. It is more something, more, yeah. I mean, quicker. Yeah, we will touch more of these particular scenarios in a second. I wanted to get from, from your institutional experience something out, and it touches FTX collapse straight away. So hot, hot coffee in the morning. Uh, so there was uh, with the FTX collapse, there was a lot of media and political coverage. And um, in many cases, this coverage addressed 
this event as an evidence of the failure of the blockchain technology as a whole, which is actually not correct. And uh, actually, this is a quite uh, traditional uh, collapse. So what, uh, apart from the assets in, in, in questions that were, of course, crypto, but um, this actually raises an issue in the community, which is what is the level of knowledge of, of blockchain, of these high-end regulatory elite, meaning the politicians in Bruxelles, at the European Parliament, and uh, maybe also in media, in French media, as long as you are aware of? Um, yes, good question. It's, I mean, crypto industry deserves way better than FTX. And we are all responsible somehow. Uh, I'm guilty. I was thinking that SBF was kind of a genius and didn't say to myself, like, double check stuff. Maybe it can be a fraud. And that's where we are all guilty. Uh, some part of the crypto industry is not guilty. They said you should use non-custodial wallet, uh, don't trust verify. And, and, and these people were right and they are still right. Mm -hmm. But of course, this is still a complex technology. This is not fully matured. Uh, to give you an example, to follow this technology, I would use 165 sub-narratives. And I must admit, uh, there was a first mapping from Electric Capital, very useful. They tried to map the different narratives, sub-narratives, like uh, what is a wallet, what is a non-custodial wallet, what is a hot wallet. And we ended up with 165. And it's really hard to say tomorrow these some narratives will blow up mm. and there will be massive business. What we know is that it's a kind of a, an evolutive technology and that's what makes it so great. Because if you study quantum physics, it's pretty linear. You need to be good at maths and physics. You need to do a university of physics. You need to do a PhD in quantum physics and all your colleagues will be quantum physicists. Mm -hmm. And you can work on this and it takes you around 10 years. And that's great. You're part of the quantum physics elite. But the difference with crypto is that everybody can contribute. Right. It's open. And, and some, I mean, and, and, and Vitalik began as a writer in Bitcoin magazine. I mean, this guy is a genius and that showed the level of modesty he has. He said, okay, let me write about Bitcoin. And then he felt we, we can maybe do another version of a cryptocurrency. Uh, I, I wouldn't uh, end up in a debate with Maxis, but, but that gives you the potential of cryptocurrency. It's, it's open. Uh, I'm very bullish on decentralized science. Uh, we, mm -hmm. we, we maybe cover that later. Right. But this is very different. And from an institutional point of view, this is super weird. Some people see the potential and some people are kind of afraid of this or don't believe that this has potential. And in a way, I can understand these people and I can understand how doubtful or fearful they are from cryptocurrencies. But at the end of the day, Uh, and that's the trick for BPI France. As we must sustain innovation, we have to give a chance to cryptocurrencies. Mm -hmm. But on the other side of the bank, 
we have a classic bank that use target two, target two securities that are IT systems from central banks that can bug. I mean, there was an afternoon where target two wasn't working, but because you're in kind of a, a closed loop, everybody agrees. So that's also show the technical challenge of cryptocurrency. And I think we will go through many cycles, but each time cryptocurrency will improve its model. On the other hand, and this is not a secret, central banks are challenged right now. I did some engineering study, but after I was to, I went to business school and I worked in, in finance, in merger and acquisitions, I didn't know what a central bank was. I didn't really know how it works. With cryptocurrency, many people studied this and they know how it works. And we didn't even talk about Bank of International Settlements, that is yeah. the central banks of central banks. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> so kind of the, the boss level. And, and this is super interesting because the more we dig into cryptocurrencies and we are, many people are like this, the more we understand current economy. And honestly, uh, some people I know well, they work in finance, but they don't have a clue about economy, how it works. And cryptocurrency is kind of, uh, you know, it's kind of uh, the blue or the red pill. If, if you take the right pill, then you understand so many, so many things. And you also understand tough choices that were made by the regulator to kind of promote financial stability. But on the other hand, you understand that the system might be doomed at some point and is also very resilient. I mean, honestly, the fact that the central banks can, we say print out money, it's not technically printing out money, but have facilities, have tricks to do it mm -hmm. is amazing because you say how this system works. Yeah. <laughs> uh, And this is great to be working for an institutions and trying to understand both sides. And honestly, I don't know which, which side will win if I'm 100% uh, honest intellectually. Um, crypto has velocity, technological advance. I mean, honestly, today's great developers don't want to work for traditional banks. They want to build their protocols, to work for other protocols, to work for crypto projects. So this is a challenge. But of course, the classic, the traditional finance as regulatory yeah. in, on its end. And this is why, and you mentioned it, uh, there is also a, a clear lobbying war between traditional banks and crypto companies. And that brings us back to FTX to FTX, sorry for my French, uh, that was financing American politics. Right. And it was very smart uh, somehow, but it doesn't give uh, that much credibility to crypto industry. So again, I think transparency is a good way to show that we're, we're, we're on, on, a better, on a better path. Yeah, and I think there's also a component in, in, in the dichotomy of open source. I mean, open source is a creative space because some people would say that code is beauty because it's math. But at the same time, you need certification, you need standards. And this is something that I think the community in crypto 
has been longing for, like uh, standards of education and certification so that you end up doing a job and someone certified. Is this something needed or not? I'm, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't think we'll, we'll have an answer. But I wanted to move quickly into another aspect strictly related to what we were talking about earlier. Uh, there was um, uh, an article on the Fed, uh, Fed's blog about FTX and, and DeFi, and which was claiming basically that had it happened in DeFi, possibly it wouldn't have happened. I mean, if, it, if DeFi was, if there were decentralized infrastructure uh, at, the, at the foundation of FTX, maybe this whole mess wouldn't have happened. So the, my question is, um, what crypto native tools may be used in the future as building blocks in regulation and supervision of crypto itself? I'm talking about... SBTs for digital identities, MEV for MEV, for example. Do you have any scenarios for CAST? Uh, this is difficult because the potential is here, but you have to change something, is the culture of institutions. And it's not an easy task. I mean, a good part of my uh, in-laws are lawyers. And lawyers are great. They're doing amazing things. But here, there is a debate with technology, as you mentioned. I mean, there's this Cody's Law thing. And so, in, in my humble opinion, regulators should be more aware technologically. If you want to regulate a blockchain, then first, you can set up a node. And you would have so much information And this is something everybody tries to do. There was this debate about the proof of reserve and the real efficiency of proof of reserve. But these are good questions. How do we secure users? How do we secure regulators on something still technologically complex? I mean, maybe, and, and you are talking about education. I hope that in some years we would educate students to use private keys, to use public keys, because this might be essential. Yeah. Uh, yeah, sorry. No, please. no, no. I attended a talk of given by the Bank of Italy and someone very cleverly stated that the, cr the problem is not crypto so much. The problem is that there is not even financial education of the masses. And how can you onboard people in such a wild financial west Uh, when people don't have a clue about some financial basics. So actually what you're saying is very right. But do you think that um, when they will come, the, the best regulatory approach will take place um, at a protocol level or maybe at the application layer, meaning the front ends, the, the clients, Uh, so what actually people are interacting with on the on a website on a on a dap etc what what do you think is um the best place to to start if if the regulator has really the potential to understand the infrastructure layer he should because then you can in a way fight mev understand what mev is and fight it yeah fight it is a big word but Regulate it, or if you just say do a DAP and do a login password uh, <laughs> so people <laughs> would be secure, 
it's a lazy way. And that's also the challenge of regulators. They have so many things to regulate. Uh, the teams are not very numerous. When a guy is good uh, or a girl is good, she's hired by the crypto industry. And that's part of the game. But if you put yourself in the shoes of the regulator, this is tough to regulate. And this is why I think we should change a little bit the culture of or the model of regulation. Uh, and, and crypto industry is great at innovating in this space. Mm -hmm. uh, like that's the guardians, for example, of, the, of, of some wallets. I won't give names, but there is a, a crypto wallet where you can have a guardian that can handle your key. And this is super clever. And this is maybe a way to show regulators that there are some ways to help people being educated. And But to do this, you have to be innovative. And that's the problem of traditional banks. Uh, they're too big. They try to innovate, but it's hard. And I don't see them being, you know, really doing amazing proposals on this. And, and we've seen it on AI, on, on other topics. Banks are, are, are also challenged right now. And this is the case of PPI France, who are investing a lot into IT systems, into hiring uh, young, talented developers. Because if we don't, uh, it would be super painful. Uh, so this is why it is super interesting, because we are kind of at the cusp of disruption, I hate this term, but to say that the society is becoming more and more technological. And that's why decentralization can be a part of the solution. If, if you go to political science universities nowadays, in a class, you have always two or three students that are talking about crypto and decentralization, right. saying this can be a problem solver. Yeah, And this is amazing. I mean, This is not an engineer with a Unix t-shirt. This is a political science student that might be a politician one day that might work for the state and say decentralization is amazing. And that's why this is a, a very complex task for the moment. But we can see that cryptocurrencies brings many ingredients and shows that it can work at a broader level. But to do this, the state has to, to withdraw in a way on some point. And this is very difficult. Mm -hmm. Which leads us to the next question. Um, Europe and crypto, what are the leading countries in DeFi in your terms? And what do you think are the determining factors that make these countries leading in this environment? It's hard to compare. If we compare fundraising, Um, continental Europe, uh, France is first with around 2 billion, Germany follows, then UK is first in non-continental Europe with uh, nearly 4.5 billion of fundraising in, in crypto blockchain sector since the beginning. Switzerland is also at around 4 billion. So the This gives us a, a, a point of comparison, but that's not the only one. Uh, you have great ecosystems, uh, for example, in, uh, in Lisbon, in Portugal, in Milano. Yeah. So 
that's why you shouldn't judge uh, with some heavy figures. The interesting thing is to see where people are good at. For example, France, Italy have a special sensitivity to luxury industry. Mm-hmm. So to some NFT uh, that could be used in the luxury industry. Uh, UK is more sensitive to uh, finance, for example. So you have a lot of crypto brokers, uh, investment, crypto investment funds, DeFi projects. So this is still maturing. And what is amazing is that to see that the next generation of entrepreneurs will bring new ideas and new sub-narratives or will reinforce new sub-narratives. The big question mark is uh, is always how much uh, decentralization can the current system accept. I mean, for finance, this is quite obvious for everybody. If you use traditional finance and you use crypto, crypto is faster. Mm -hmm. You have transparency, you have... I mean, but the problem is, will the regulator let uh, this crypto industry uh, develop. And this is the case for quite every sub-narrative. At the end of the day, there's always a a, a centralized guy at the door. (laughs) Like for healthcare, uh, the potential for healthcare is gigantic. I want to touch touch that scenario in a minute. I wanted also to... um, Uh, pin this information Uh, Finland's Minister of Communications recently called for a European recognition of DAOs Uh, what do you think are the necessary steps to get DAOs regulated in in Europe Um, or absorbed or integrated? Honestly again the answer is a mix of old things and new things If you really want to regulate in a clever way DAOs, DeFi and stuff, put a tax function in smart contracts. Right. Uh, And then uh, you can say it's regulated. (laughs) Everybody can see some transparency there and it would be super efficient. And I'm sure that if you do this, some DAOs will pay taxes. But regulating this is a nightmare right now because uh, you have a very stable system of uh, incorporation and you need, you need to, to, to rephrase it, to, to reshape it. Uh, but as you mentioned, Finland did this. Uh, UK regulator also asked uh, open contributions to how we could improve um, things with DAOs. So uh, Wyoming, of course, kind of regulated it uh, and I'm sure that this will continue um, but again very hard to say which will be the final form of DAOs will it be the new kind of associations uh, will it be the new ink uh, it's it's very hard to say uh, but of course this is also adapted to the technological evolution of society It's a fun fact, but when we were talking about Metaverse, uh, before it was cool, before uh, Facebook became Meta, Mm. uh, it was very hard to pitch it and people didn't really see it in the banking industry. So I 
at some point I say, hey guys, tomorrow we will have some chips in the brain. Uh, do you see Matrix? Do you see Ready Player One? This will be the society. And people were like, no, it's not possible and blah, blah, blah. And I want to go out and have a <laughs> beefsteak in a restaurant and live the good life. And it was funny how board executives were kind of afraid of this future. Right. Yeah. And some people in the board were not afraid. And this is a crucial question right now is that And, and this is why politicians are, are, are kind of amazed and afraid by uh, AI. Yeah, I can tell that there is a bit of a dystopian fear in general when I try to explain how the blockchain works. But at the same time, when I try to do education in my own way, I, I tend to make uh, understand how the current internet system is actually more dystopian than what crypto would be like because we are plugged in so many ways to these big mothers, social mothers that basically control all our experience and sometimes also deviate our political ideas. We've seen how it worked with Cambridge Analytica. I wanted to ask you something about, um, because we moved from a European context, we quoted the um, Finland minister. I wanted to ask you what the French loi pact is. Can you please explain this law in a few takeaways, maybe three takeaways, especially when it comes to crypto? Loi Pact is the kind of a financial law. So each one to five years, the French government uh, wants to write a law about financial stuff. So what mm -hmm. they do is that they have their administration, the Direction Générale du Trésor and other administration that will help writing a first draft of the law. Then they present it to the Assemblée Nationale, uh, which is kind of the voting entity uh, with the uh, deputies. They discuss, they change the law, and then there's a final version that is voted and that is applied. And the Loi Pact integrated uh, some very important texts about crypto industry. So it was the first uh, regulatory framework uh, with Switzerland, Uh, it was uh, the first text about what is a crypto asset service provider, what can he do, what he, he needs to do uh, to operate. And so this is uh, very structuring. French people, we love to say that Loi Pact inspired uh, Mika, so the market in crypto mm -hmm. assets text, which is the European version uh, of crypto regulation. And it, Of course, it, it was kind of a leapfrog because we were not discussing about crypto and it was something scammy and doomed to let's, let's do a law about it and let's say it exists and that we can regulate it. Um, so honestly, it was a great work uh, from the French administration. Let's talk about Euro. Why don't we have a stable coin yet? Um, and uh, do you think that maybe these um, highly anticipated uh, digital euro could serve as the instrument, the tool to have audited reserve for 
uh, euro-backed stablecoin. Sorry, I'm casting. Uh, I like to cast scenarios and like to ping our guests. Yeah, with. yeah, no. So, uh, you can you can wear your institutional uh, hat, but you can also go freestyle. No, what what is funny is that digital euro is a son of cryptocurrencies, or, or, or a girl from cryptocurrencies, mm -hmm. because before electronic money was already existing, and When we say the central banks are printing money, of course they're printing some money, but to get these facilities, uh, they use code. It's just closed loop code where the central banks say, hey, let's create in a way a uh, hundred million debts and I do the credit on the other side. So it's monetary creation. It's the way the economy, the modern economy works since the end of Bretton Woods. But let's, let's try to put ourselves in the shoes of the regulator and the central bank. I mean, you have a gold standard. You see that it's good for economy, but it has limits because you can't produce more value than the gold you own. Then you have this great thing called fractional reserve. You say, if I have one bar of gold, I can lend 10 bar of gold. Mm -hmm. And it worked somehow, but you had some limitations, some physical limitations. And the end of Bretton Woods was like, let's do another system with the dollar. The good news for the American economy is that you can print as much dollar as you want. And I would say you can print as much dollar as the economy would accept, in a way. This is the limit. Yeah. And now... They, everything was fine and then you had the financial crisis but then you print more money and everybody's happy and and then cryptocurrency come and kind of challenge you it's it's kind of a, you know a, a stone in your boot and they say let's let's do a digital euro but if they're really honest they don't want to do a digital euro what's the use they already have an electronic version of the euro that works well It's called money, electronic money, and and you can they can give license to to banks, neo banks to to operate it. The only thing that changed is that technologically, if you can do a digital euro, you seem kind of too old in terms of technology, and that's why if you observe the communication about tokenization. Mm -hmm and digital euro or CBDCs from central banks change uh, drastically in, in, in the last two years. The European Central Bank organized uh, with the Banque de France a conference at the Louvre about tokenization. And they invited uh, the chairman of the Fed to talk about CBDCs. And, and this was kind of a celebration of CBDCs, which was kind of weird because three years before they were saying that CBDCs were useless, mm -hmm. at least wholesale CBDCs. And, uh, and you can still feel that when they talk, they prefer wholesale CBDCs as retail CBDCs. So just to, 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 to give a, a, a quick light on this, wholesale CBDCs is that CBDCs that can use, so central bank, digital currency that can be used between banks and retail CBDCs is that the central bank will give you retail money. So basically you can get a loan from the central bank. And this is also a difference. 
So at the end of the day, I'm not convinced that they are super bullish on digital euro. Mm. But on the other hand, the Chinese already have a CBDC. The Australians? It's not really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Many countries, I think that more than 75% of central banks are working on CBDC projects mm. or having in production. So the sand in Bahamas is running. But this is more kind of a, a, a move where you show you're not late. And of course, the Chinese, we mentioned this earlier, can have some geopolitical power with this CBDC because now the economy is running with dollars and some euros, but uh, it, it can be challenged. Sure. Uh, I'm not convinced. I mean, long story short, I'm not convinced the central banks are super bullish on digital euro. They communicate about it, but you also need at the end of the day some engineers to code it, to test it. And personally, I think the best developers in the world are the core devs working on protocols. But this is also a challenge for certain banks. If they, if they really want to do a digital euro, they should, I mean, multiply by 10 the salary of the developers working for certain banks. We even had a joke, I mean, working, I mean, talking about what is a central bank developer? Like it's a very rare animal. <laughs> we are missy at night. With little survival instinct, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Like, what is this guy? Oh, girl. Like, <laughs> and yes, this is a huge challenge. But on the other hand, certain banks have regulation on their side and, and political stability. Yeah, right. The real thing that is amazing is that this could last for years. And that's the only way I, I, I convinced my wife uh, with crypto is say, hey, I have some work for at least 25 years. Uh, because this, this will be complicated. It, it, crypto will progress. And, and, and I hope this with all my art. But you have all this, as you mentioned, like political, philosophical approach. You have this uh, lunar punk, solar punk approach. And this is very interesting because I don't know what, what will be the output. What I know is that I want to be part of this journey with my humble, very humble contribution, uh, but I want to be part of it. I'm actually quite uh, curious to see what role music will play in, in this whole ecosystem. I, I, I'm sure you know Jacques Attali. Jacques Attali wrote a book called um, Noise, the Political Economy of Music in, in the early 80s, where he analyzes how since the birth of nation states, music always anticipated some big uh, economic and financial trends. The last one being um, the sharing economy with Napster, for example. So this is something that, for example, personally, I'm very curious to see, which leads me to then the last section of our interview. I would like from you to give us a few scenarios of um, crypto application in different sectors. First of all, let's maybe start with the ECA, the body that you work for. How do you think they will enter crypto and Web3? There are some tokenization scenarios in place that are con being considered. So there is uh, two sides. The first side is that we have to continue to finance innovation in this field. 
so if a startup wants to tokenize music ownership or, or music royalties, the job, our job is to try to finance it with mm -hmm. loans, grants, equity investment. And that we will continue. This is our mission. Then you have the second part, and this is the hardest. It's the practice what you preach thing. Like to say, hey, we talk about crypto, let's use it. Tokenization is a good example. Uh, I'm very bullish right now on real world assets. Um, and again, the efficiency of the technological layer is is amazing. If If you want to securitize financial products, This is heavy. With blockchain, you can do it with a smart contract. If you want to automatize the payment of a loan, this is again very doable with smart contracts. And of course, traditional finance say, hey, we can do this. We get what a smart contract does. We can do this. But the problem is that they didn't do it for nearly 30 years. Right. So... <laughs> I'm 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 a positive person, but I'm like, why would you do it now? And why would you do it better than the best IT developers in the world and the best lawyers and the best economists in the world? Because of course, blockchain crypto is not only about tech. And and that is fascinating in this industry. Sometimes you meet someone and they're like, Oh, you're a developer, and the guy is like, No, I'm a lawyer or I'm a economist. And This is a very powerful um, uh, crew. Mm -hmm. So that's why I'm, I'm, I'm open to discussion. Banks can tokenize and maybe they, they would do it with CBDC or Digital Euro. It is a possible future. It's just that for to do this, you need to have the best resources and the best talents. And for the moment, the best talents are going to Web3. Uh, there is, a, again, um, a, a report uh, showing the number of developers, of, I would say, talented developers. There are 9,000 talented developers at Goldman Sachs and uh, I think 36,000 at uh, Amazon hmm. or even more. And there are 20,000 in Web3 and it's growing. And some of them, of course, are in AI industry, but... If the best developers are working in Web3 and there are still investments... That's actually a very, very good metric to point out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, things will be interesting. Again, I'm not saying that crypto will conquer everything, and, but things will change. And at the end of the day, this is uh, what's important. And uh, coming back to music, I'm a huge fan of, uh, of music. And you're right, there are many, many NFTs projects uh, within music industry. And this is a good indicator at which moment uh, it might change. Right. Um, you mentioned it earlier, uh, healthcare and blockchain. Um, there are big investments in place and expectations. What are the, the first use case that we might see in the not too near or maybe near future? Very hard to say. I mean, we have two use cases in mind. I mean, everybody has it. The first one is to share healthcare data. Okay. Maybe this would have helped with the COVID vaccine to get it even faster. Uh, then you have personal healthcare data. 
uh, that you can bring uh, with yourself and use it and give some opt-in or opt-out uh, for some clinical trials. You have so many, so many use cases. The problem of healthcare is that when you dig into healthcare uh, use cases, you discover the pharmaceutical industry and same as central banks. And you're like, how ignorant am I? <laughs> I'm taking medication, maybe, I don't know, I have a headache, I take uh, some paracetamol, and, but I don't have a clue who produced this, what are, what, what's at stake. And when you just open the book of pharmaceutical industry, honestly, <laughs> you want to close it very fast. So I'm sure there are some potential, but again, you have to deal with the big pharma industry. Yeah. And you have to understand it to make it move. And this is another fight. And, and honestly, I'm more at ease with the financial fight, I would say, or financial discussion. Perhaps this, um, this new idea of a patient-centric uh, medical data that in this case would link to the medical insurances so that, you know, you can actually make use of your values when you go to a hospital and clinical trials use these data to provide valuable information to Big Pharma. You actually have partially mentioned it, which is when I'm taking a drug, I don't know who produced it, etc., which leads us to supply chain and blockchain. What is the missing component? There is a missing component, and um, I would like you to name it, and uh, maybe if you are aware of any promising uh, research and development project today working in supply chain and blockchain? Uh, so this is super interesting because supply chain and blockchain is one of the first use case and everybody agrees that it has value. The only challenge is that supply chain is physical most of the time and blockchain is, is intrinsically digital. So to merge the two, you have to use other technologies to be sure to have a trackable uh, supply chain. And this was a challenge, for example, uh, Ledger worked on this to, to really, you know, certify the flows, I don't know, of electricity, of... Uh, uh, so this is a challenge. The potential on the other side is huge. Um, Again, something we don't really have a clue about it is the energy market in Europe and the arbitrage that are done every day between Italy, Spain, north of Europe, south of Europe, the gas, the electricity. Uh, and if we could track every uh, watt on the network, this would help everybody to be more efficient. The challenge of, of the economy is to be sustainable. And that costs a lot of money. And let's do a loop with central banks and governments. The good news is that central banks and governments agrees to put money on the table to do the ecological transition. So everybody agrees that climate change is costing a shitload of money mm -hmm. and that if we want to tackle it, we need more money, which is a very economical way of seeing things. 
And maybe on climate change, we can have different point of views. I, I, I don't have it. I, I don't have the solution. But I'm just saying that solving a money problem with more money is maybe not the best solution. But on the other hand, central banks, government, financial institutional institutions are working hard on climate change. So I can't blame them. And of course, Bitcoin is consuming energy, but also Bitcoin showed that with Bitcoin, there is no what we call fatal energy, energy that is purely lost. Mm -hmm. And in our energy consumption system right now, so much energy is lost. Right. So much. It's crime. And that's why at least Bitcoin showed that uh, you can use this energy. And there's a massive potential of energy that can be used and, and, and not lost. Uh, so I think it's a, it's a very interesting uh, trigger that was um, created by Bitcoin. Um, can you name again this uh, concept, uh, fatal energy? Yes, it's basically okay. that... Uh, Entropy. If you use, yes. What is amazing is that at the end of the day, everything is linked And the solution is very global and, and needs, needs to tickle all the boxes, including the music industry box. And this is why, in a way, crypto is, is about more than crypto. And I think that's why so many people are passionate about this and say, I want to work in this field and I want to dedicate my brain <laughs> to crypto. Yeah. And because this is so much more than crypto. This is so much more than speculation. And we have to show regulators, institutions, that it is so much more. And this is our challenge. And, and on this, uh, we might be guilty at some point. Um, but everything is linked. And that's why it is really, really uh, great. And we have jobs for many years. And if you're a student or a young guy and you want to participate to this, Don't hesitate to ask uh, mentors, people, people like Matteo to introduce you to other people, to train you, um, because we all had this guy, that kind of, this girl that kind of put us in, in the rabbit hole, and this is super helpful. But yes, it's a it's a easy it's an easy conclusion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry yeah. about no, no, that. No, no, no. It was perfect. Um... It was actually a great interview. Thanks, Ivan, for taking the time. Do you have any final statement or better? Do you have a feel rouge that you want to leave our audience with that they can follow? Honestly, the feel rouge is a classic one. A classical one is do your own research. Don't stress very fine. I mean, go the deep as you can uh, and, and, and you'll feel better. Um, And that's also the opportunity of this industry. I mentioned many industries saying we don't have a clue about energy. We don't have a clue about pharmaceutical industry. The luck we have with crypto industry is that if you do your homework, you will have a clue of so many things and so much more than classic industries. And this is a great opportunity here. Ivan, thank you again for joining us. It was, uh, it was a great talk. Thanks to you. 